0: We end a series this morning on Habits of Grace. This is a series that we've been talking through and working through uh, for six weeks. We've been looking at what does a life look like that has been changed and transformed by grace, by the gospel of grace. We've looked at things like what does it look like to discover and read God's Word, in light of God's grace? What does it look like to share God's Word and share Jesus with others? What does it look like to pray? What does it look like to worship? Last week, what does it look like to be in community and fellowship with one another? And this morning, we're going to look at the habit of generosity or the habit of giving as it's found in Malachi chapter 3. Malachi is a very obscure book. It comes towards the end of the Old Testament. It's a story of guts and blood and Chopping people up and weird priests and all the rest. But what a lot of people miss about Malachi and the reason it's unfortunately never preached on, it's an actual story of God's covenant faithfulness. It's actually a story about God's people, God's covenant people, over and over and over again being disobedient and rejecting God, and God still until the very end saying, but I still want you to return to me. Malachi is actually a beautiful story of God's grace and God's redemption, And so let's dig into it together and actually find out what it has to say about how we give and give back to our ultimate treasure, which is God. Malachi chapter 3, verse 6 through 12. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say... "'How shall we return? Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and therefore put me to the test,' says the Lord of hosts." If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need, I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil, and your vine in the fields shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord, it stands forever. Amen a woman was teaching Sunday school to a group of five-year-olds, and she wanted to give them the gospel test. And so she was surrounded by these five-year-olds, and she said, boys and girls, if I was to sell my house and my car and all of my possessions and give it all away, will that get me into heaven? And the boys and girls answered, no. And so she said, okay, well, how about this? What if I go down to church every week, and I clean, and I cut the lawn, and I don't take a dime, I do it for free. Will that get me into heaven? And the boys and girls said, no. And then she thought, well, I'll get them with this one. What if I go down to the animal shelter, and I adopt all of the puppies and all of the kittens, and I take care of them? Will that get me into heaven? And the boys and the girls said, no, And then she said, well, then what will get me into heaven? And one little boy stood up in the back and said, you got to be dead. <laughs> and that little boy was right on so many levels. Little did he know. You see, Jesus actually says something about this, doesn't he? Jesus says that you have, in order to find your life, you have to lose it. There is a figurative, figurative death that we must die in order to earn eternal life. There is a turning away from trusting in ourselves and the treasures of this world and the treasures of this life to attain the ultimate treasure which is found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, in this passage that we read, Malachi 3, God says, return to me. I have a life that I desire to give you. I have life that I desire to give to you and to my people. But there is a death that you must die. A turning away from the treasures of this world and turning your affections and your desire to the ultimate treasure in heaven. Adam and Eve faced this as well. Adam and Eve is the story of having it all and having it all in plenty until that small voice said, what? You don't have enough. And Adam and Eve reached for what they thought was just going to give them a little more and it cost them dearly. Listen to me. There are people smarter than you and more talented than you that stay up way later than you, thinking of things to sell you every single day in order to achieve happiness. It is their whole life, it is their whole career, it is their ultimate aim in life to convince you if you have this thing, then your life will be complete. There is such thing as the profit of stuff. But in order to be freed, from what the world says, take this and live, to be free from that lie, which ultimately leads to death, we need to see how we can ultimately be free from that and turn our attention and affections and our worship from the treasures of this world to the ultimate treasure in heaven. So what can we learn from Malachi, Malachi chapter 3 about giving? I want to give you four things this morning. Let's take out our notes, take out our pens. Four things About giving from the prophet Malachi. The first thing is this number one, giving reminds us that everything ultimately belongs to God. Look at the language that God uses here. In verse 8 and 9, God makes this very personal. He says, Stop robbing, stop robbing me. I remember when I, uh, as as a kid growing up here at Coral Ridge, I heard this for the first time from Dr. Kennedy, and I had thought all, as a kid that Dr. Kennedy was saying this until I read this in Malachi chapter 3. God actually says, stop robbing me. The word here for robbing is is a rather unusual one. The word here for robbing in Malachi chapter 3 is not what we would consider in our culture petty theft. It's only used one other time in the Hebrew in the Bible, and it actually means to pillage. Like a violent person would come in and pillage a village or a community. That is the type of robbing that God is describing. And God is saying, and you're doing it to me. You ever hear somebody that has had the unfortunate experience of having their house robbed? What do they say? I felt so violated, right? That's what God is describing here. Why? Because it all belongs to Him. Everything in creation, everything in the air and in the sea and in the earth, everything that we possess here on earth, both great and small, ultimately all belongs to God. And that's what gives God the right to make this audacious statement that you're robbing me. Why is this important to giving? You will always be offended by the idea of giving and tithing. You will always be offended by sermons like this. I know there are people right now saying, I knew it, I knew it, they were going to get to giving eventually. And I knew, I told myself, the minute that preacher talks about giving, we're finding a new church the next week. I know there's people out there right now thinking that. You will always think that. You will always be offended. The idea of giving will always rub you the wrong way until you understand that God ultimately owns it all. Everything we possess, everything we hold on to, ultimately belongs to God. And until we are... Understand that principle that we are ultimately robbing God from withholding from Him what ultimately belongs to Him that He owns, we will always be personally offended. So, the first thing we always have to remember when God says, Why are you robbing me? He says this because it's His, it all belongs to Him. We're simply stewards of what God ultimately owns. So, the first thing we have to remember. In giving, we are reminded that everything ultimately belongs to God. Until we understand this, we'll never be able to let go of our earthly treasure. Second thing, one, not only does everything belong to God, but two, in giving, it allows us to partner with God in his mission. In verse 10... The first part of verse 10, it says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse so that there might always be food in my house. A tithe is basically a tenth. A tithe means tenth. And so what God was saying is bring a tenth of all of your wealth, of all of your assets, of all of your possessions to the storehouse. Now, what does a storehouse? Every religion had a temple. Every temple had a storehouse. The storehouse was the treasury. The treasury or the storehouse was used to fund the mission and the ministry of God. It would pay for the sacrifice. It would pay to feed the poor. It would pay to advance the glory and the name of God. But this God that we read about comes and says, I do not want you to divvy up your tithe anymore to the sun God and to the moon God and the God of the sea and the God of the harvest. I want you to bring, what does it say? The whole tithe. I want you to bring your whole tithe from the top. Everything you own, everything you possess. I want you to bring the whole thing and I want you to give it to me To fund my ministry, to advance the glory of my name. See, when we give, we forget that we have the incredible opportunity to partner with God in his mission. God could have chosen any means possible to get his name out. He could have chosen any means possible to help the poor and feed the hungry, could have chosen any means possible to share his gospel here at home and abroad and to advance his name both far and wide. And he said, I am going to choose you. Colossians tells us that God co-labors with his people. And one of the ways that we co-labor with God in the mission of God is helping to fund the mission and the ministry of God through presenting our whole tithe to the storehouse and to the ministry and mission of God himself. Now you might be sitting here going, wait a second, tithe means tenth? When I start doing the math, as we heard from Ken earlier, you're saying 10% off the top goes to the ministry of God? Wow. And I go, yes, wow. God owns it all. And he, this is what he says. He says, I own it all. I'm going to take one tenth and you get nine tenths. You can't find a deal like that anywhere in the world. God says, I'm going to make it all, create it all, own it all, and I'm going to take one-tenth and you get nine-tenths. And that's how we'll work together. Not 50-50, not 70-30, one-tenth to me, and you get the rest. And that's how we'll partner together in this thing called gospel ministry. It's the floor. Never heard a deal like that before. You never will. It's the least that we can give. The tenth, from the top, the whole thing, to fund the mission, and the ministry of God. So first thing, giving reminds us everything belongs to God. Two, giving allows us to partner with God in his mission and in his ministry. Third, giving requires trust. If God calls us into community and partner with him to do this thing called ministry, then it, like every partnership, like every relationship, it requires trust. What does it say in the second half of verse 10? It says, and it's a very audacious invitation, God says, therefore, put me to the test. What God is basically saying is, try me. I dare you. I dare you to trust me in such a way that you will give and trust me, fail to trust me that I won't provide. I dare you, I dare you to trust me, test me, try me, I dare you, there is a level in this partnership with God in giving in which we must give our ultimate trust and dependence to God. Now, granted, more than likely, there are plenty of people out here right now going, no way, no how. And you might even come up to me after the service and go, but you don't understand my circumstances. You don't understand where I'm at. I'm new to the church. Do I have to tithe? And with every ounce of my being, you don't understand how tempting it would be to say, nah, don't worry about it because I want you to come back next week. But I can't tell you that. Just as I can't tell my kids don't go to bed, just as I can't tell my kids that they don't have to go to school, that I can't tell my kids that they don't have to brush their teeth and do their homework, for me to tell us as a church, to tell you as a church that we really don't have to be obedient to what God says here in his word is sentencing all of us and ultimately our church to a life of immaturity. But more than that, I am robbing you, and we are being robbed of the joy of trusting God. That one North American Christian would actually have to trust God. Could you imagine? The entire world wakes up every day and says, Lord, give me my daily bread, because I didn't eat yesterday, and my kids didn't eat yesterday, and I don't know if I'm going to eat we don't pray that prayer. We go to Publix for our daily bread. To actually train ourselves to develop the habit of actually getting on our knees and saying, I don't know where it's going to come from, but I want to be obedient to you. I want to follow you. I want to actually trust you. If one North American Christian would actually live their life in such a way that they were actually obedient and trusted God and said this, God, There is nothing in my hands I bring, only to the cross I cling. See, for us to walk away from this passage and go, it's maybe true for some, but not true for others. This whole habit of giving thing is actually robbing us of the joy and the treasure of learning what it looks like to ultimately trust God with everything. It actually might be the thing that you need to do the most to learn to trust God. For everything. So giving tells us that it requires trust. God owns it all. Giving allows us to partner with God in his mission. Giving requires extreme trust. Lastly, fourth, and most important, giving allows us to discover the big giver. In verses 10 through 12, God does not say, Test me, and I'll provide for your basic needs. What does he say? God says, test me and will I not open the heavens and pour out an abundant abundance of blessing upon you until you have no more need and until the whole watching world says, that is a blessed people, that is the land of delight. A people, in light of what they have done to God, rejecting God and turning away from God, God would have had every right to say, watch me open the heavens and rain down fire and judgment upon them. But God doesn't do that. God says, watch, I dare you, I test me. Will I not open the heavens and pour out my abundant grace upon you? lavish love. You see, part of giving is not about you being the big giver. It's discovering how great the Father is in his lavish love towards us and that we, in response, get to give a morsel, a crumb in comparison to what God has done for us. Now, you might say, but somebody's got to miss out Somebody's got to lose, and that's the gospel. You see, the good news of Christianity, unlike any other religion in the world, says there is one that loses, and his name is Jesus Christ. It's Jesus Christ who had the treasure of heaven in the palm of his hand, who Paul says became poor so that you might become rich. Be- experience poverty so that you might experience the richness of the treasure of God in the gospel. Jesus dies and we live. He was condemned and we flourish. And that's the gift that God gives. We get to discover over and over again that God ultimately is the big giver in this relationship. We ultimately respond in light of the great generosity of God. Can you ever put a price tag on that? See, if you go home today and go, okay, i got to get my calculator out. What's the bare minimum I can give? And you've missed it. If this is about the bare minimum and how can I just get by, you've missed it. You've missed the big giver. Can you put a price tag on eternal life? Can you put a price tag on the ministry of the gospel? Can you put a price tag on the gospel going out from this church? Can you put a price tag on the salvation of your children's soul? Can you put a price tag of all the things you and I receive in light of what Jesus has done for us? Millions and millions, all the treasure in the world will never compare to what God has done for us. And when we get gripped by the great giver, God, this is what compels us and moves us. This is what gives us the want. As Ken says, the wanter changes. Do you know this, Jesus? The one who became poor so that you might become rich. The Scriptures say that God so loved the world, he gave. God gave. Who? Jesus Christ. So that we wouldn't be condemned, so that we would flourish, so that we wouldn't die, so that we would live forever. Have you met the treasure of heaven? Ultimately, it's the only thing that will change you and compel you to give in light of the outrageous giving of God towards us. A few years ago, I saw a story about a soldier who was fighting the war in Afghanistan, and his wife was back home in Jacksonville, and he wasn't able to be home for her birthday, but he knew that her favorite thing to eat was a pepperoni pizza from Mellow Mushroom. And so, knowing that he was going to be in Afghanistan fighting this war, and that his wife was at home in Jacksonville, he writes a letter from Afghanistan, and he says, my wife's birthday is coming up, and she would love nothing more other than me coming home than to have a pepperoni pizza from Mellow Mushroom on her birthday. So what do they do? What does Mellow Mushroom do, just slop a pizza together and deliver it? No. No. They pull out all the stops. They make the biggest pizza they can make and they put it into a heart shape. They take every pepperoni and they cut it into little hearts. They gather cards and candies and balloons and gift certificates and they come together as a a store and they deliver it to her house at no charge. Why? Why? Because they said, this guy is willing to... Give up his life for us. The least we can do is take care of his bride. You have a Savior that is not willing to give up his life. You have a Savior that gave up his life for you. The least we can do is give and take care of his bride.